few years ago, my wife and I had an interesting experience on a college campus. We were at Samford University. I attended Samford, and sometimes people think I say Stanford, and I, I do not correct them. I say, thank you, Har Harvard of the West, you know, um, go trees, me and Tiger Woods. But we were standing there in Birmingham, Alabama, and we were there to tour the campus with our oldest daughter, Ellie. She was thinking about going there. And my wife and I were overlooking the quad, and my wife leaned into me and she said, wasn't college the best? Wasn't it an amazing experience? And I looked at her and said, no, it was, it was a train wreck. I was a mess in college. I attended college in Alabama, but I grew up in Massachusetts and nobody told me, hey, it's gonna be a different culture when you move from Massachusetts to Alabama. And I, I came in with this goodwill hunting level of sarcasm, which got me rejected from every fraternity. Every single fraternity said, nah, we're, we're good. We don't, we don't need John Acuff. I got put on social suspension for a year for a Halloween prank that went very, very wrong. And then I ended up working at a shaved ice stand outside of Walmart. I don't mean inside Walmart. I mean an unaffiliated shaved ice cart that a man named Kevin wheeled onto the sidewalk in front of Walmart. Did you achieve shaved ice level your freshman year of college? Now I'd love to say I turned it around to give you a redemption story that junior year was different or senior year was different, but then we'd have to overlook my rave phase that I went through. Right now, if you're thinking, he doesn't mean dancing in a warehouse at 3 a.m. with glow sticks, that's exactly what I mean. And as we drove back home to Nashville after that visit, I had this overwhelming sense of regret. I felt like I had wasted my potential. Have you ever felt like that? Is there a city you feel like you could have done more in? Is there a relationship, maybe a job? Is there a situation where you feel like you didn't live up to your full potential? Or maybe it's the opposite for you. Maybe right now, you're about to start this new year thinking, I'm capable of more. I think God's made me for more. I think there's more to life than I'm living right now. I was curious if other people have that same feeling. So I did what I always do when I get curious. I commissioned a research study with a PhD named Mike Peasley. He's a professor here in Nashville at MTSU, and he and I asked 3,000 people if they ever felt like they weren't living up to their full potential, and here's what we found. 96% of people said they were not living up to their full potential. 96% of people. Now, that's good news for you and I. If you've ever felt that way, you're not alone, but the craziest thing about that study we did was that 50% of people said 50% of their full potential is untapped. That's like walking down on Christmas morning and only opening half of your presents. Can you imagine that? You come down the stairs and there's this big pile and your friends and your family members, maybe even coworkers are going, those are your presents, you can open those too. And then for some reason you pull back, you don't open them. Would that make for a happy Christmas or a happy family or a happy career? No wonder Twitter is so grumpy, right? And the Bible talks about that. In God's word, here's what it says. It says, hope deferred makes a heart grow sick. Hope deferred makes a heart grow sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. That's Proverbs 13, 12. Have you ever deferred hope? Have you ever put hope toward the future instead of living it? Maybe you said, next year will be different, or my next relationship will be different, or my next friendship, or my next job, and you keep deferring it. Now, when we hit moments like that, we start to ask each other some really common questions. We ask questions like this. What do you want to be when you grow up? 
I'm still asking that question. I'm in my 40s. We go, what do you want to be? Or what's your purpose? What's your purpose for your life? Or what's your big, hairy, audacious goal? We dream, and this is a dream season. Part of the reason I'm here right now is to talk to you about that. We're on the eve of new year, new you season, aren't we? And I, I struggled with that. I, I would make notes. I would think about things and I would struggle with that because to tell you the truth, I'm, I'm actually a very negative person by nature. Sometimes people think I'm positive because I write positive books, but the truth is I'm very cynical by nature. I'm very sarcastic. I'm very jaded. Like I'm not a glasses half full kind of guy. I'm a glasses half full of scorpions and somebody might steal the glass if we don't keep an eye on it. I remember when we had young kids and we'd leave our stroller on the beach to go walk. I would go, we better hide it. We better lock it in the car. My wife would say, if somebody steals a stroller, it just means they needed it more than we did. And I would say, no, it doesn't. It means we got jacked. That's how robbery works. I'm a very negative person by nature, but then I started to study God's word and I started to feel really challenged by it. There was one set of verses that really hit home. It's in Psalm, I wanna show it to you. It's a powerful verse. Here's what it says. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And then it says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. It's so easy to forget them, isn't it? And then it says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. There were two parts of that that got me the most. Hey, don't forget. You're going to be tempted to forget. It's easy in the hustle and bustle of a year, especially even in Christmas when it's stressful to forget all those good things. And number two, he satisfies your desires with good things. He wants to satisfy your desires with good things. And so I felt stuck in this moment. I had a lot of regret. I felt like I wasn't living up to my full potential. And I, I didn't know how to dream forward. When somebody would say, what do you want to be when you grow up or look forward, I didn't know how to do that. I felt paralyzed. And so I did something I'd never do, done before. Instead of looking forward, I looked back. Instead of dreaming about 10 years, 20 years, 30 years in the future, I just looked back to try to remember those things God had already done. And it wasn't complicated. I was in the Augusta, Georgia airport. I'd just spoken at an event. That's what I do for a living. I'm a public speaker. And all I did was I took out a piece of paper and on the very top of it, I wrote best moments. I just had a single piece of paper and I wrote best moments on the top. And then I started to list them. I essentially said to my head and my heart, hey, would you Google some things that God's done? Would you call up some things he's done that were best moments? And I started to write them down. Things like my wedding day. That was an easy one. I've been married to Jenny Calbert, who's now Jenny Acuff for 23 years. That was a best moment. Then I wrote down this, the birth of my two kids. I've got two daughters, one's 18, one's 20, which is crazy for me to say, but that was a, a best moment. I wrote down things like this, traveling, going to Santorini, for instance. That's one of the few places I've ever been that's better than Instagram. You ever been somewhere where you get there and you go, ugh, Instagram ruined you. The filter must have been amazing because this is very average. Santorini was better than Instagram. Costa Rica, New York at Christmas time. I wrote down some very, very kind of classic moments. Or here's another one, when I paid off my student loans. When I finally paid off my student loans. Another one is when we bought our first house. 
We bought our first house. This is going to break your heart when I say this number out loud. Our first house was $180,000. In Nashville, that won't buy a picture of a house. Like you couldn't buy a photo of a house with a decent frame for $180,000. But I remember sea foam, green carpet, purple walls. I called our bedroom purple rain. It didn't matter. It was our first house. So I wrote down a lot of classic moments. So today for you, I'm curious, if you were going to sit with God and create a list like this, what would a classic moment be for you? Imagine filling in that blank, because this is going to be interactive. Part of the benefit of a video, part of the benefit of watching this on your own time is you get to pause it and go, okay, what would I write down? So my hope is at the end of this, you'll have your own list. You'll have the start of this conversation with God. But so the first thing you do is you write down some classic moments. Then I thought through some custom best moments, moments that were unique to my life, moments that I did that probably other people hadn't done. For instance, the nine pound lobster we ate on Martha's Vineyard. Years and years and years ago, I grew up in Massachusetts, some friends and I went to Martha's Vineyard and we bought a nine pound lobster, it was $5 a pound. I'll do the math for you because I'm amazing at math. That's $45 for a nine pound lobster. Like they held it up, it was the size of a small dog. If I could have that photo of me and that lobster on my driver's license, I would, but the DMV is very strict. But that was a best moment for me. Another one, petting my neighbor's dog after a run. They have a dog named Scout. My wife sometimes teases me that I know more dog names in our neighborhood than I know people names. When we're walking and we'll see a man walking his dog, she'll say, hey, hey, don't say hi to that dog by its name. It's weird that you know the dog's name and not that man's name. And I'll say, this is about me and Hachi. That has nothing to do with that man. If, if humans had cool names like Bingo and Lunchbox, I'd remember your name too. I'm sorry, Chris. It faded into all the other normal names. But there's this one house where after I finish a run, they have a golden retriever. And if I stand at the fence, he runs towards the fence. That's one of those small custom moments. Another one was when a time when a guy named Stephen Pressfield wrote a note about one of my books. He's one of my favorite authors. He wrote this book called The War of Art. And I wrote a book and I was terrified and I asked him to endorse it and he sent me a kind email about the book. I still remember where I was standing when I got that email. That's a good question for you. What's a positive moment that you still remember exactly where you were when it happened? You have those in your life. So then I started to think about consistent moments. Like what are some moments that if I made a list consistently happened to me? Like here's one of them. When a meeting ends early or better yet gets canceled. Is that the greatest feeling in the world? We all say the same thing, right? We all go, I got 30 minutes back in my day. I got there. And the people apologize for canceling it, and you're like, no, no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's such a small, little, consistent moment. Another one was when I look out the front door and I see a package on our porch. Even if I ordered the item, I'm excited. I look out the front door, I'm like, look, something from Amazon. but there's a smile on the box. That's from me. Even if it's something I order and I'm excited. Another one is making my kids and my wife laugh. I love to make everybody laugh, but especially them because they've heard most of my material and they're funny too. They're very funny. I, I live here in Nashville. We attend the Franklin campus. And the only time I ever get recognized is in this city because I speak in this city a lot. And so if somebody sees me at the mall or at the airport and comes up and says, hey, I, I liked reading your books, I'll go, thank you. And then when they leave, my kids will go, you're so regionally famous. It's amazing. You're just re like this street, downtown Franklin, there's a whole block where you're regionally famous, dad. What a joy. They make me laugh, but I love to make them laugh too. So I thought through 
Those three types of moments. Okay, what are some classic moments where God's really shown up? What are some custom ones? What are some consistent ones? And I started to create the list, and I didn't think anything of it, to tell you the truth. I've done activities like this again and again and again. I've written 10 books. So I've tried a lot of goal-setting exercises. I've tried a lot of different things, but this one surprised me. There were a few things that happened that I honestly wasn't expecting. Number one, the list made me feel amazing. I felt amazing when I did it. And when I think about it, it's obvious why. It was the first time I'd ever asked my head and my heart to go look for those best moments, to go look for those God moments. All too often, our heads and our hearts call up the negative moments, don't they? Has that ever happened to you? Like you're at the grocery store and your brain goes, hey, remember that dumb thing you said? Remember that mistake you made? That happened to me just the other day. My brain was like, hey, do you remember that surprise birthday party you ruined? Do you remember that? And I thought, I do now, I do now. And it's true, I ruined a surprise birthday party. Now in my defense, the woman who invited me to it buried the lead. If you do a surprise birthday party and you invite people via email, the subject line should be surprise, surprise, surprise. Don't tell Jake if the person's name is Jake. But she put that in the third paragraph. Now I'll admit, I'll own this, I skimmed the email. I didn't see it was a surprise. Later that day, I ran into the birthday boy, Jake. He came up to me and said, hey John, what are, you, uh, what are you doing tonight? And I said, oh, can't wait for the party. And then he said, what party? And then I said, just, just in general. I try, to, I try to live my life with a party, party mindset, you know what I mean? You never know when you're bumping the cake. Definitely not your birthday today, Jake. And then that night when my wife and I got to the party and I hadn't told Jenny that I had ruined the party, she didn't need the burden of that information. I didn't want her to carry that weight. We walk in and Jake's wife, Tara, stops the music when we come through the door and she says, this is John Acuff. He's the one who ruined the party. And I was like, hey everybody, this is the kind of entrance I like to make. How's everybody doing? That happened 19 years ago. And the other day my brain was like, things feel a little too happy. Let's bring it back down with some sadness. Let's dial that back down. But for the first time I was doing the opposite. I was looking for positive moments. The second thing I learned, the list made me grateful. The science on gratitude is amazing. There's been so many scientific studies but often what happens is people say, you need to be more grateful. You need to have an abundant mindset or abundance mindset. I'll go, yeah, agreed, but, but how? How do I do that? This was a how. I started to remember things I'd forgotten or, or celebrate things that I'd taken for granted. It made me feel grateful. The third thing that happened was it taught me self-awareness. I started to notice things about myself, things I cared about. You can't change any part of your life without self-awareness. I mean, think about it this way. The leader who gets fired for anger issues thought he was passionate. The person who's dated 10 losers in a row often doesn't stop to go, what was the one thing consistent in every one of those? Oh wait, it's me. Self-awareness is kind of like those moments. You ever see the videos online where like a little kid gets cochlear implants and they can hear their mom's voice for the first time? Or they hand color glasses to somebody who's colorblind and they go, look at the trees, they're so green. When you have self-awareness, you start to learn about yourself. You understand what you really care about, what you really love. And then the fourth thing that happened, was the list taught me mindfulness. That's a popular phrase right now, right? We all say we wanna be mindful, we wanna be present. Here's what I've learned about being present. Being present is just being nostalgic about the moment you're still in. 
And what happens is when you do a moment like this, when you create a list, you tell your brain and your heart, hey, go look for best moments in the past, they automatically start looking for them in the present. You'll be in a moment, you'll be in a conversation at church and go, this is amazing. This person cares about me. This person, we're having a great conversation. I would add this to my list. It created presence for me. Now that's huge. I mean, think about the list of achievements you get from just doing this simple exercise. Number one, you feel amazing. Number two, you learn gratitude. Number three, you learn self-awareness. And number four, you tap into mindfulness. That's a great list just from that. So I wanna give you a few prompts. Maybe right now you're saying, okay, well how do I come up with my own list? What, what are some things I can do to kind of ease into it? Let me give you a couple of simple prompts you can do. Number one, what if you thought about this? Time speeds up or slows down when I blink. Every one of us has an activity where time seems to change shape. You spend two hours on it and you don't even notice it's been two hours. What's an activity like that for you? Maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's gardening. When you garden, you get lost in the garden in the best possible way. Maybe it's a long conversation with a friend. You look up and can't believe it's already time to go. What's an activity for you that if you wrote down, you'd say, okay, this is something that slows time down or speeds it up. What about your career? Think about this, like the best job I ever had was blank and the reason I liked it so much was this. What's a job you've had where you would go, okay, that, that was my favorite job. I felt so valued there. I felt seen. I felt like I got to use all of my skills. Or maybe you haven't had a best job and you want to dial it in and go, okay, I haven't had an amazing job, but there's been some good things at even jobs I didn't really even love. There were moments where I could say, wow, I got to use my skills. Write that down. Number three, every time I see blank, I smile. Every time I see blank, I smile. This one's really fun because you can fill it out with a person or a place or a thing. I know for me, I, I would say every time I see Rob Sintel, I smile. I don't know if you know Rob Sintel. He's on staff here now at Crosspoint. And every time I see him, I light up because he's so full of energy, so full of laughter. We call him as a joke, Rob Goff, instead of Bob Goff, because he's so full of life. Every time I see Rob, I smile. Every time I see Mon Eagle, I smile. Now that's a niche comment. If you are watching this internationally, let me explain. Mon Eagle is kind of the threshold between us and Atlanta and Chattanooga. So when I get on Mon Eagle, the top of it, I'm driving back home to Nashville, it means I've beaten Atlanta, like I escaped Atlanta. You ever drive through Atlanta and you're like, I just gotta get out of this city because it's so crazy with the traffic. And then you go through Chattanooga and whoever designed the highway there hates humans and hates highways. There's like a hairpin turn through a mountain pass at 90 miles an hour. So once I hit Mon Eagle and I crest it, you go down the hill and it flattens out and it goes back to 70 miles an hour and it's like Nashville goes, come home. It's like Dolly Parton is like, come back, come back to the city. And I love that feeling. Every time I see Mon Eagle, I smile. Another one you can write down is this. If I had a free hour today, I'd spend it blank. If I had a free hour today, here's how I'd spend it. I love watching Instagram where like somebody will give somebody $1,000 out of the blue and just go, hey, here's $1,000. And they, they always cry and they do something with it. But if I could give you an hour, if I could find you at church and say, hey, here's a free hour, what would you do? And don't put laundry, don't put taxes, don't put something you have to do. What would you want to do? What would, what would light you up? Here's another one. If I won a $163 million lottery, I'd make blank a millionaire too. Now that one feels very specific, but it's only because it happened. There was a couple in the United Kingdom 
and they won $163 million. And in addition to giving money to charity and a bunch of different places, they said, let's make a list of 20 friends and make them millionaires. Can you imagine how fun that would be to just roll up on a friend and be like, hey, by the way, you're now a millionaire. That would be so fun. Who would you put on your list of, of friends that you'd make a millionaire? How about this? I don't wanna brag, this might sound like bragging, but these are three accomplishments that I'm proud of. These are three of my greatest accomplishments. We don't have time for you to be falsely humble right now. What's something you're good at? What's something that lights you up? It's amazing how often the things God calls us to do feel this way. And we have a hard time with this because online, if you share something you're proud of, people go, humble brag. Oh, must be nice. Put that aside. Put the must be nice people aside for a second and go, here's something I've done that I'm proud of. I, I did this with hundreds of people. And I'll never forget, a mom said this. Here's what she said. She said, I'm a mom and a surgeon. There, I'm owning it. I'm not embarrassed by it. Can you imagine a world where a mom has to make that statement? Where a mom has to say, yeah, I'm a mom and a surgeon and I'm not embarrassed by it. What would you put if you made a list of these or accomplishments? And then the last one, when I scroll through my camera on my phone, when I go through my camera roll, I always get inspired when I see blank. At some point in your life, you captured that image on purpose. You have thousands of clues into what you really care about because you've already captured it. It's, it's not a mystery. If you went through your camera roll, what would light you up in there? Now, everybody I taught this to, because I taught it to hundreds of people, always built lists bigger than I thought they would. I would say, hey, try to come up with 30, just 30. Like if you're watching this right now, over the next couple of weeks, just keep a running list, ask God to show you them, open the eyes of my heart and show me the things that really matter to me. And I'd say to people, do 30 and they do 80. They do 100, they do 150. Now that wasn't always the immediate response. It sometimes was challenging for people and the, the reason it was challenging was simple. The list is the opposite of everything you were taught to do. We haven't been taught to celebrate our best moments. Our culture right now is obsessed with trauma and sadness. We over talk about trauma and sadness. There was actually a study done by a professor named Martin Seligman. Here's what he found. For every 100 journal articles about sadness, there's just one on happiness. Our culture is addicted to trauma talk and addicted to sadness talk, and we ignore joy. We ignore happiness. Every counseling I've gone to, and I've gone to a lot of counseling. I've done individual, I've done group, I've done marriage, like I've done it all. A lot of the counseling I go to, we all focus on our trauma. I was in a men's group and one time we had to draw a trauma egg. What's that? You draw a massive egg, this big egg, and then you draw illustrations of all the traumatic things that have ever happened to you from birth to current day. And then you share that. It's a really fun session, really nice. I never had a joy egg. I never had somebody say, hey, let's talk about what lights you up. Every small group I've been part of, and I've been part of a lot of small groups, the first six weeks where we share our story are six sad weeks about the worst things that have ever happened in our marriage. Very rarely do we go, hey, we wanna talk about the celebration of your marriage. What's happened in your marriage? That's amazing. We tend to overfocus on sadness. Meanwhile, God goes, hey, come into the delight. Like, let's talk about these moments. I mean, one of my favorite verses, Psalm 18, 19 says, he brought me into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He delighted in me. 
He wasn't obligated in me. He delighted in me. Even Jesus. Have you ever looked at what Jesus says his mission is? He's actually really clear about it. That's one of my favorite things about Jesus is his clarity. He doesn't mess around. Like when he says, hey, love your neighbor, but also like love your enemy. There's no loophole. There's no like, unless he votes for somebody different than you vote. Like there's no, it's very clear. He's like, hey, I don't know what to tell you. Anybody can love their friend. Love your enemy. He's clear. Here's what Jesus says is his mission. In Luke 4, 18 through 19, he says this. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for his prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He does five different things with that. Number one, preach good news. Number two, proclaim freedom. Number three, recover sight for the blind. Number four, release the oppressed. Number five, proclaim the year of the Lord's wrath. Wait, it's not, it's not wrath though. It's the year of the Lord's favor. A friend of mine sent me a photo of somebody wearing a shirt that just said, God's in a good mood. What if we could believe that in this coming year, that God's in a good mood? I mean, Jesus is on a redemption tour and you're, you're one of the stops. Wherever you are, whoever you are, he's on a redemption tour and you're one of the stops. So I, I made my list. I've got a list of about 171 items. And then I started to look at it. I started to say to God, okay, well, what do I do with this, God? Like, I, I'm grateful, I have self-awareness. What do I do with it? And the more I looked at it, I started to notice there was a pattern. Remember those posters from the 1990s when you'd stare at a 3D poster and like a unicorn on a sailboat would emerge if you looked at it long enough? It was like that, but what emerged was even better. I noticed that there were four different categories that every moment fit in. Let me, let me show you what they are. Number one, experiences. Number two, accomplishments. Number three, relationships. And number four, objects. So what do those mean? Well, let's break them down one by one. An experience is a best moment you took part in. It could be a one-time experience, like you went to Hawaii. It could be an often common experience, like every time you go into Frothy Monkey, you light up. Like it's your favorite coffee shop, and every time you're in there, you just light up. It's an experience. An accomplishment is a best moment achieved through your effort. So you did something. You were part of why it was best. I'll, I'll give you an example. One day running, I was running with Pastor Kevin and Rob and Justin from the Franklin campus. And when we were running down this road out in Franklin, a bald eagle went right in front of us. It was like it had been released from a handler. Like they said, release the bald eagle. It was amazing. That was an experience. I didn't do anything to earn that accomplishment. Now, if I got really into birding during COVID, hypothetically, and then I traveled to see the migratory pattern of the whooping crane, that's now an accomplishment. That's the difference. I had to work for that. The third category, relationships. A relationship moment is a moment another person made best. So an example of that was we're in a small group. Every Wednesday night, we go to dinner with our small group. And if I went to the same restaurant without them, it wouldn't be a best moment. It'd just be a meal where I was eating by myself, but it's the people there that make it a best moment. And the last one is an object, something, in a physical item you think is best. It can be a pair of running shoes. Like maybe this Christmas, you got a pair of running shoes and just seeing them makes you want to get after it. Maybe it's a journal. You've got a journal and it's where you always go for your quiet time. So just seeing that journal goes, I'm gonna spend some time with God. So I started to think through those four different moments. And what's interesting is if you see the categories, your list transforms from a task about your past into a tool for the future. 
Because what happens is you start to see what you really care about. You start to get a plan for the future going forward. I'll give you a few examples from my own list of how I labeled it. So the day I skied in Utah, I was alone in Utah. That was an experience. I wasn't with anybody, so it wasn't a relationship moment. I don't own the mountain, so it wasn't an object. I didn't track my vertical feet, so it wasn't an accomplishment. It was just an experience. Here's another one from my list. Seeing the headlights in our driveway when our kids come home. Have you ever taught a kid how to drive? Terrifying, terrifying. It's crazy how little they know. And it only takes 50 hours. In the state of Tennessee, as long as you teach them for 50 hours, they're like, here you go, 4,000 pound vehicle, 70 miles an hour, good luck with the rest of that. But when I see my kids' headlights in the driveway, it means they're safe. That's a relationship moment. Another one I wrote down is this, finishing a whole notebook of ideas. I'm classic at starting a notebook, like getting three pages in and then being like, eh, I'll buy another one, buy another one, buy another one. But when I get to that last page of a notebook, I feel this real sense of accomplishment. Here's another one I wrote down. Doing the donut run with my youngest daughter. My youngest daughter, McCray, goes to Franklin High and they had a donut run where you had to run a lap and eat a donut four laps in a row. So four laps, four donuts. I'm not talking about Krispy Kreme either. Like a hot Krispy Kreme, you could stack four of them into one super donut. Like that's a joke. Eating four Krispy Kremes is amateur hour. I'm talking about Kroger cheap, thick, glazed, cakey donuts. Like even right now you're like, oh, this stop please with this description. Why did I put that as a best moment? Because I got to do it with McCray. She made it a best moment. Another one I put down was showing up to meetings prepared. That's an accomplishment for me. I like to roll into a meeting already having answers to questions I know are going to be asked. And the last one, my Benchmade pocket knife. I have a Benchmade pocket knife and every time I see it, I feel like a little kid. I feel like maybe I'm gonna go build a fort. Like having a pocket knife to me as a, as a guy who's 48 makes me feel 12, it makes me feel 10, and it's just a little object. So I wrote down my list and I started to kind of analyze them. And I'll give you a metaphor that'll help make sense of this. Let's say you went to Radnor, you hiked at Radnor. Hiking Radnor is an experience. It's a fun experience, maybe you saw an owl. Let's say that you went to Radnor and you hiked it faster than you ever hiked it. Like you have a Garmin watch and you tracked it and you got it on Strava like, and you covered the distance faster than you've ever covered it. Great, that's an accomplishment. Let's say you went with a friend and the friend is going through a divorce and the friend is in a really tough spot and you were able to pour into that friend. That would be a relationship moment. Let's say you picked up a pine cone from your hike and you put it on your desk because it was one of those moments where you felt at peace with God and you felt seen by God and so you picked it up and every time you see it on your desk, even though your, your day is chaotic, even though your day is busy, it reminds you of that moment. You'd write that down and that would be an object. Now I went through my whole list and here's how it broke down. It was really simple, I had 61 accomplishments. I had 59 experiences, 35 relationships and 15 objects. And I started to learn from this. Again, when you do exercises like this, when you invite God into your life this way, this is gonna blow your mind. He gives you wisdom. Read any part of Proverbs and you'll find it saying, hey, there's wisdom, there's wisdom, there's wisdom. I'm on the rooftop shouting, here's free wisdom, here's free wisdom. So when I did this and labeled it, I started to learn about myself. Here's what I learned. Number one, I love accomplishments far more than I knew. I grew up in a church culture where success was seen as a bad thing. I grew up in a church culture where accomplishing something was seen as worldly. And so for years and years, I've pulled back. 
I've pulled back from accomplishments. But when I made an honest list and I said, okay, God, show me what I care about. Show me who I am. Accomplishments rose to the top. And then I started to read his, his word. I mean, one of my favorite parables is the rich landowner who says, here's five talents, two talents, one talent. The five talent guy doubles it. The two talent guy doubles it. And when they get home, God's not mad. There's a party. They double it. They're very successful. They're very accomplished. And there's a party. The only one who's seen as negative in the story is the person who hides and plays it safe because it means he doesn't really know the heart of the Father. And so God used this list to go, hey, I'm about excellence. I'm the most excellent God there is. Christians should be the best at what they do. We should be amazing. Like growing up, if I saw an ichthus on a plumber's business card, I knew it meant he was going to be a bad plumber, but he'd pray for me at the end because I didn't associate excellence with Christ. But now God was going, hey, I'm a God of accomplishment. I'm a God of glory. When you work hard at your craft, it reveals the God who gave you those gifts. Let's go. That was the first thing I learned is number one, I care about accomplishments. Number two, relationships are important, but they're not motivational to me. This was really revealing to me because sometimes people think I'm an extrovert because I do this job. I stand on stage, but what's interesting is being a public speaker is actually an introverted activity. I'm the only one with a microphone. It's not a conversation, I'm sharing an idea. When I'm in a panel with five other people, that's a lot harder for me because that's a conversation. There's a lot of speakers who are very introverted, and it turns out I'm, I'm a pretty introverted person. The third thing I learned was objects do next to nothing for me. They don't motivate me. They are only 15 items on my list of 171. And what's fascinating is, again, I've done this exercise with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. I ended up writing a book about this called All It Takes is a Goal, where I help people figure this stuff out. And the one thing that was common from everyone's list was that objects was always the smallest. Objects didn't matter. Now, why is that interesting? Because every form of marketing you'll ever see tells you that objects will fix everything. Objects will change everything. Objects matter most. So our marketing says, you've got to go get these, but our hearts say just the opposite when we pause with God and make a list. And I guarantee you'll find the same exact experience. Now, the list is fantastic. Again, what happens when you sit down with God and you start your year this way? Number one, you feel amazing. You learn gratitude. You become self-aware. You tap into mindfulness. But what's really fun is that what's going to happen if you actually try this? Start your year this way. If you actually try this, here's what you're going to say. I want more of that. I want more of those things. I don't want them to be accidental. I want them to be on purpose. I want to plan my day around this. I want to plan my weeks around this. I want to lean into these things God's made me for. God revealed to me who I am. I want to do that on purpose going forward. Can the rest of my life be the best of my life with a God who's generous, with a God who's kind, that's the question you're going to ask. And God gives us so many answers to that question in his word. Here's one of my favorite ones. Proverbs 16.3. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. I mean, again, clarity. I love a God who's clear. Commit to the Lord. Like, commit to the Lord whatever you do. You're in the middle of resolution season, commit those resolutions. You're in the middle of goal season, commit those goals. And then, what, is he, is he fuzzy about this? No, he says, your plans will succeed. Check your Bible, it's in mine. I wanna, I wanna double check that it's in yours too. Proverbs 16.3, another verse that I love, Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. This is an invitation 
to delight. That we have a delightful God that says, come, come delight. Now the best part of this whole thing to me is that your potential, even if you're watching this right now, like maybe you're watching this right now and you're going, John, but you don't know my life. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know what I've been through. Like it's too late. Fear always says, that. it's one of fear's favorite phrases. It's too late, it's too late, it's too late. But here's why I know it's not too late. You are not an acorn. You're not, you're not an acorn. Picking up acorns is probably one of the most old man things I do in my life. And I do a lot of old man things right now. I'm recognizing that like if it rains, I say, we needed that rain, like we needed this rain. Um, if I have to pick up something, like if my wife asks me to carry something, I always say, it's not heavy, it's just awkward. Like that's a phrase I find myself saying. If we get to a restaurant and a line develops behind us, I go, we got here just in the nick of time. And then the last sign that I'm becoming old is I've started to get curious about clothes at Costco. Like I've noticed I'm edging into the middle of the store and I'm like, man, this Kirkland makes a great rotisserie chicken and a pair of pants. Like they're good at both things, like that's a sign. But one of the other signs is I pick up acorns. And the reason I pick up acorns is that it's such a perfect picture of potential. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, inside, inside this acorn is an 80 foot tree. Inside this one ounce kingdom is, is 10,000 pounds of wood. You gather a whole handful of them, you've got part of a log cabin, you get a few hundred, you're holding a mile of the Appalachian Trail. The acorn is amazing. The potential is phenomenal, but it is temporary. It is. Acorns last for a few weeks, some a few months, some even a few years, but eventually, the acorn can forever lose its potential. There's nothing that can reanimate this. There's nothing that can bring this back to life, but you, are not an acorn. Your potential cannot be wasted. It cannot be ruined. It cannot be lost because we've got God. We've got a God who makes streams in the wasteland. We've got a God whose favorite hobby is redemption. God's favorite hobby is redemption. Your potential can't be wasted. It can be ignored. It can be hidden. It can be shoved in the shadows if somebody in authority told you a long time ago you don't have any potential or you don't get to use a potential or that's not the right potential. We can have a quiet relationship with it, but it can never be lost. It can never be ruined. It can never be wasted because we have a God who loves redemption. God's favorite hobby is redemption. He makes streams in the wasteland. And here's what I know about you. You're always one day away from starting a new forest. Just one day, and, and that's my hope for you, that you'll settle into that, that you'll try this exercise to say, okay, God, I wanna know you as a good God. Okay, God, I wanna know you as a God who delights in me. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a piece of paper, and it's gonna say best moments at the top, and I'm gonna see you add things to it, one by one by one. Open the eyes of my heart. Let me see those things. If you try that, not only will it change how you look at your past, it'll change what you see in the present and it'll give you hope for the future because he delights in you. And I, I delight that I got to do this. I attend the Franklin campus. I delight that I'm part of this family. We've attended Crosspoint for 14 years. I love that I get to share ideas like this with you and I can't wait to see what you do with them.